Welcome to the NARPM Podcast, where we bring you the most in-depth look into the property management industry. We discuss hot topics with property managers, vendors, and those that support the property management industry. The National Association of Residential Property Managers is the recognized leader in property management. Our host is Pete Newbig, co-founder of Empire Industries Property Management and co-founder and CEO of VPM Solutions, where property management meets global talent. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the host and are not necessarily those of NARPM. Now, here's your host, Pete Newbig. Welcome to the NARPM podcast and we are in for a treat today as we get to interview Amy Carnes who's the current RVP of the Central Region. I know Amy personally and I truly believe she's figured out how to split the atom. She serves on so many organizations and is impactful for each one that she serves. Amy's been a licensed realtor since 93, born and raised in San Antonio, holds a bachelor's degree from Texas Tech and a master's from the University of Oklahoma. She was awarded the San Antonio Property Management Specialist of the Year, uh, along with being awarded as a Platinum Top 50 real estate agent. She has successfully run her own brokerage for over 16 years and actively participates in real estate investing. In 2016, she moved to Dallas, where she's currently the managing broker for A-plus Management. Amy is actively involved in the realtor community actively serving on the Texas Realtors Leasing and Property Management Committee, along with serving with the Women's Council of Realtors. She recently served as a Dallas NARPM Chapter President, followed by serving as the NARPM Texas State Chapter President, and is currently, as of this recording, the Central Region Vice President for NARPM and the incoming Chair of the Lease and Property Management Committee at Collin County Associate of Realtors. Amy is uh, most proud of her two sons, Aaron and Aiden, who are pride and joy. She just got married to her husband, Wendell, on her 50th birthday last year. In her free time, she loves to read and travel the globe. I tell you, Amy is an amazing person. I know her personally, and she's one of my favorite people. I bounce ideas off of her all the time. And Amy is a real estate investor who taught me about owner financing. So that's my hot topic of the day. I want to talk a little bit about owner financing. So many of us are building our property management firms, and rightfully so, because property management firms, when they start running without you, you know, we know that they're, they're, worth, they're worth some money. So that's an investment in your business, and you're growing your, you're growing your net worth and, you know, by, by investing in your business. One of the mistakes I made when I was building Empire was I was so busy building my, my, proper, my property management firm that I actually got away from real estate investing. And I didn't do it for many years. Meanwhile, that's how I got into property management was through my real estate investing. So anyway, I was talking to Amy and she told me that she does own, she does owner financing now. And so I thought that was a great concept. So I thought I did actually started doing this. So on my lower end homes, you know, my 200,000 and below homes, I actually sell the property. I sell it at a little bit uh, higher value than what the CMA comes out at. So my last property I sold, it was worth around 100000 and I sold it for one twenty. And so when I, when I own or finance it, you know, now I'm looking for people that can afford the note, but not necessarily have great credit. Maybe they don't have income that they can report, or maybe they, uh, they had 
an issue with health. So they, they have medical bills they didn't pay, whatever the case is. But that's the kind of person we're looking for, right? And so uh, because you're holding a note, you can create your own seller financing addendum. Uh, I have them put in 10% down. The rate was 7%. And now that the rates are going up as of, the, as of this recording, it'll probably go up to 8%. So I always have the rate maybe one or two points higher. You know, so you ask yourself, will people really overpay for a house? Well, yeah, if they want a house bad enough, and they can't get a loan uh, no, normally. And the 10% down is not that bad. They'll put the 10% down and, and then they just pay you a note. And I found a company, well, actually, Amy found a company for me uh, she, that she uses called Evergreen, which will service the note and they will take taxes and insurance and make sure that, you know, the note is, is escrowed. They take the money and then they pay you the difference and they break out the principal and interest. So then you say to yourself, okay, well, I'll give you some numbers here. That, that property on Beldart is the name of the, the, the street. I was renting it for $1,000, all right? So you say, okay, well, if you rent it for $1,000, when I owner financed it, now I put money into it, I rehab the property, I probably put 20 into it, I got 10% down, so I got like a $12,000 back, and, and so I got most of my money out of it. And so... When, uh, when, I, when I get my principal and interest, it's $781, right? So you say, well, Pete, you're getting $1,000. Now you're only getting $781, right? But there's something called taxes and insurance. And so on the taxes, the taxes were $300 a month, right? Or, or $3,600 a year. Well, now, there you go. Right there, that, that $1,000, now I'm making $700. And then I have insurance was about $120. So now I'm down to you know, uh, what is it, 580. And then uh, management fees, right? Because I was paying management fees. So now you're down to like call it 500. Well, now all of a sudden that 781 looks a lot better. That's all before any kind of maintenance that happens or, or a turn, right? Leasing fees, all that stuff all goes out the window. Now, I don't have to worry about if insurance goes up, don't have to worry about it. If taxes go up, don't have to worry about it, right? Because that all gets escrowed. And the only thing I have to worry about is if somebody does not pay their mortgage, then I have to foreclose on them. And, you know, that, that's a process just like an eviction process. But think about this. The mentality of a resident moving into a property is what? They will pay all their bills before they pay their rent. When they move into the house, what are they looking at? They're looking for all the things that are wrong with the house and then giving you a punch-out sheet and expecting you to fix all those small items. Now talk about somebody who buys a house. When they buy the house, what do they pay first? Their mortgage, everything else gets paid secondary. When they look around the house and say, what are things that, need, that are not working or need to be done, what do they do? They go out and they actually, actually do the work and they improve your house, right, for the most part. And so um, by doing this owner finance deal, I was able to make a lot more money with a lot less headache. I mean, it is literally mailbox money. So if you are, uh, you know, a real estate investor and you're looking at, at, you know, this is a potential, you know, tool for you to use in your real estate investing. And I know I'm saying this to a bunch of property managers like, hey, man, we don't tell our owners this. It, it's not it's not for everybody. It's not that you don't do it all the time. My house was paid for. So I was able to do this because the house was paid for. If the house isn't paid for, obviously it makes it a little bit more difficult because you don't have to wrap the mortgage. You have to determine, you have to talk to your mortgage company to see if they'll actually allow you to wrap it. Typically they don't. Typically your local bank will. I've done wraps with a couple of local banks here in my market 
So that's uh, my hot topic for the day. We'll be right back, and then we're going to have my interview with, with Amy Carnes. Create the best move-in experience for your resident or homeowner. Citizen Home Solutions is a utility concierge service designed to assist with services needing activation prior to moving into a new home. Our experienced team will help eliminate the stress of setting up services. No more calling a long list of service providers to get everything connected and ready for move-in day. Your client will value the white glove service provided on your behalf. True, Citizen Home Solutions assist with utilities, but more importantly, we create an experience that your client will appreciate and love. Our service is free and offers you a revenue share program. Want to know more? Visit pmcpartner.com. Scaling your business means juggling many moving parts, leaving you wondering how to manage it all. How can you keep your eye on growth and streamline your operations? At RentBridge, we've created the Property Management Operating System, an ecosystem for property management marketing and process automation, where you can view and take action on the most important aspects of your operations, from sales and new owner onboarding to leasing, collections, renewals, and more. By bringing operations and marketing under one platform, you can have end-to-end -end visibility of your owners, tenants, and vendors from the first moment they interact with you, allowing you to add more doors with less effort and scale a truly profitable property management business. To learn more, visit rentbridgegroup.com today. Welcome back, everybody, and thanks for joining us. And uh, as promised, I have my good friend and RVP, Amy Carnes. Amy, thank you for taking the time out and joining us on NARPM Radio today. Absolutely. So, Amy, you're, you volunteer in a lot of different organizations. I mean, too many to list. I mean, if I just asked you to list the organizations you volunteered for, that would be the whole podcast. So can you tell me, though, what makes NARPM different from some of those other organizations? And what made you decide to give back to NARPM? Well, that's a great question. I can't believe it, but I am actually coming upon my 30th anniversary of becoming a realtor. And I know I started when I was like 10, so <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long, long journey. But for many, many years, I, I lived in the sales world. And in that sales world, I did volunteer with a number of organizations such as Women's Council and Texas Association of Realtors, et cetera. And working with realtors, it's a very different experience than what I found when I joined NARPM. When I came to NARPM, I found a family. I found a family that was willing to share. I found a family that was willing to help. I found a family that was willing to commiserate with all the challenges that we face in this business. And it was unlike anything that I had experienced before. And so it is really where I've put all of my time and energy into going forward and working through the leadership ranks of national NARPM at this point in time. So I would say for me, having having seen the sales side, it's very competitive, ultra competitive. Everybody's afraid to share because they're afraid you might steal their clients. And in NARPM, we know there's plenty of clients to go around. And so the sharing with each other, it just makes us all better. So I, I have gotten back 10,000 of the hundreds of hours that I've put in. So I, I couldn't be more grateful for my NARPM family. That seems to be kind of a common thread. When you give back, you get so much more back. And I think you probably take that in almost any walk of life. So thank you for sharing that. So Amy, you sold your PM business when you were in San Antonio and then moved to Dallas and started up another PM business from scratch, zero doors. 
let's talk a little bit. That, there's a lot to unpack right there, right? So can you tell our listeners a little bit about that transition, like from the sale to then starting something else? Sure. So I had a, a business in San Antonio. I ran that business for 10 years and I actually had a unsolicited offer come across my desk and I'd had some offers before, but I had a very complex business. I had the property management, I had sales agents, I had commercial real estate, I had executive suites. We were doing HOA management. It was a lot going on. Holy um, crap. Yeah, there's a lot going on. on. Okay. <laughs> it's a lot to unpackage. And no, so wonder why, no wonder of, why you were in all those organizations. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I had a lot to learn. <laughs> and so I had a lot of offers over the years for the property management business. And a lot of people see that property management business as the cash cow. That's the piece of the business they wanted. But they didn't want to take on the real estate brokerage, the commercial, et cetera. And a lot of people were scared to death of taking over HOA management because it is a totally different business model. So when I when I was approached by um, the eventual buyer, I said, "Look, if I can't sell the whole thing, you know, in one big package bundle with a bow on top, I'm I'm really not interested in selling it because what am I going to do parceling it out?" So it was just kind of the right deal at the right time. I I honestly had never planned on selling it. The people that I bought it from ten years prior were retiring. And they had turned 65 and were ready to, to go into their golden years. And I just assumed, hey, I bought it at 35. I would be there until I was 65. Mm. So when this opportunity came up, I was 45 years old. My son had just gone off to college. It just was the right thing to do at the right time. It all came together seamlessly. I don't know that I could have planned it out as well as it transitioned had I been trying to sell it along the ways, but it was just the right opportunity. I were, did move to Dallas. Were you trying to get and, to Dallas and, and that's what, that's what helped make the decision or is after you sold, like, I'm going to go to Dallas. Said, <laughs> said no one uh, ever, by the way, we're from Houston, Houston, Dallas has a thing, but just saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, there was no plans for me to move to Dallas. I actually was already under contract to sell the company. I did have a do not compete, which is very common in these uh, types of situations. And I had gone to visit my family. I have some family that lives in Dallas over Thanksgiving. And they said, well, what are you going to do now? And I'm like, I don't have any idea. And they said, well, why don't you move to Dallas? And I thought, hmm, Dallas sounds fun. Let's do it. So I packed my bags and moved to Dallas. And literally, it, it was a leap of faith because I didn't know anybody here in Dallas. I didn't know the culture of the real estate community here. I didn't understand how property management worked here. And just like every property management company has its own culture, every city has its own culture mm. when it comes to working with property managers. And so there's a lot to learn, a big uphill battle. So like before, you said, before we get into building the yeah. seeds in Dallas, let's talk a quick couple of questions on the sale, right? So, sure. so the non-compete was just for San Antonio, not, not, it, it wasn't, it wasn't state of Texas or anywhere else. It was just in San Antonio. It was just in San Antonio. We actually limited it to Bear County, which is the, the primary county in San Antonio. Got it. Okay. So you just made this offer basically just too good to, to turn down. And so you'd like, I'm, I'm, screw it. I'm, I'm only 45, but I'll figure it out. Like what the question I'm going to ask, and was it enough for you to retire the, 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 the amount, or was it like, yeah, I get about 10 years out of this and then I got to go do something else. Or have you always thought you're going to do something else? Um, I'm a pretty active person, so I, I really didn't see myself, you know, completely not working. I was really excited about maybe working less, maybe doing some part-time stuff and working. And we'll talk about that because you're not doing that right now. So we'll talk about that. <laughs> Definitely yeah. not doing that now. But 
so when when the opportunity came up and you know they said hey we want to we want to buy your company and I said okay well here's the number that I want you know if you're going to buy it here's the number if you if you want to give me this number then you know we can we can make a deal now what I have found over the years in, in dealing and talking to a lot of people about buying and selling accounts is you can get one number if you just sell for cash and walk away. You can get a totally different number if you take a down payment and then take financing. some yeah. owner financing payments. And so we were able to structure an owner finance deal that worked for both the buyer and the seller. Everybody was happy with it. And so we did a, a down payment plus a three-year payout on the, on, the, on the sale. So it worked out great. For them, it worked out great for me. It gave me the opportunity to to do something completely new and different, sort of. <laughs> right. So and, you're um, still you're still getting a, kind of like a paycheck for three years, basically. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. that was paid that out gives monthly. Gives you a lot of freedom. Yeah, it does. That that was paid out monthly. They they made so that was paid monthly? out monthly mm-hmm. for three years, okay. and then so that time has has come and gone. They've you know have paid all their payments, and and I'm officially completely on my own. You know, on my own now. And that gave you, you three you know, years to go build another business. Yes. Yes. Nice. Okay. Now, did you have so, you team? Know, did you have a team team members when when you worked with you know? I mean, I know you do a lot, Amy, but I mean, you said you had like six divisions. So I mean, even the great Amy Carnes can't hasn't figured out how to split the atom yet. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there there are rumors that I have a clone somewhere, but I, I will not <laughs> confirm or deny that. So that is true. Though I did have five staff members that transitioned with the sale of the company, and I did. Uh, we did it a little differently. You know, most people, when they sell, they sell just the accounts and not the corporation. Correct. In this particular case, because there was so much intertwined, I sold the entire corporation. So a little bit different in the in the model of buying and selling that we, we see today in, in today's world. How did you let the team know? I told the team that, you know, an opportunity came up that I, I just couldn't pass up, but that, you know, they were a, a big priority for me. I'd had some of those people on my team for six, seven, eight years. They had grown and developed with me. They were, you know, high performers, great team members, worked really, really well together. And I told them, y'all, I really want to make sure that y'all are taken care of as well as I'm taken care of. And so your jobs are guaranteed as part of this transition. And I don't remember if it was six months or a year. And so I think that really took the weight off their, you know, off their shoulders of, okay, we're going to change hands, but we've got a job. We're going to, everything's going to keep going forward as it has been. We're still employed. I don't have to run out and look for a job uh, tomorrow. So I think that helped a lot in in communicating with them upfront when the transaction was taking place. It didn't close for maybe six months and, you know, they could have made a decision to to go in a different direction, but they all decided to stay and, and try it and see you know, if it was going to work long-term and see how, you know, things change. Cause there's always changes in any ownership change like that. So now Amy, you are obviously not ready to retire and you uh, are uh, one of the biggest go-getters that I know. So when you sold and all of a sudden, like you don't have anything to do anymore, right? Cause a lot of us as business owners, we, we identify with our business. That's who we are. Did you have a level of like a little bit of depression or anything like when phased out or you had, you knew what you were doing next and like you would just jump to the next thing? Well, when I first came to Dallas, I thought, well, let me just work part-time. Let me look around. I actually applied from, for some salary jobs. I applied for some jobs within the real estate and relocation world and just really never found the, the right fit. So decided that it, it would be best for me to go ahead and, and, yeah, I thought, well, if I just manage like 50 doors, I can do 50 doors by myself. That's easy, right? <laughs> that isn't, that's, you know, a piece of cake. 
uh, compared to what I was doing before, managing all those different businesses and, and operations. So I thought, well, I'll just get up, you know, I'll start small. I'll, you know, I'll get a door to a month. You know, I'll, I'll find some doors somewhere along the road and pick them up. And if I do 50 doors, that'll, that'll give me plenty of income in addition to what I had from the sale of the company. Plus, I owned real estate. I have real estate rentals and I have owner finance properties that I collect payments on. So I had a variety of different revenue sources, which allowed me the opportunity to not have to jump straight back into full-time work. So I started out and just said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to start from zero and and I'm going to, I'm going to correct all the mistakes I made in my old business and design it from scratch from the start, which is a really freeing and exciting opportunity. And then it just kind of ballooned and kind of went from there. (laughs) So, so tell us what what is what what does somebody do when they want to plant a flag on a, in a you know whether it's a new territory or just hey I want to start doing property management? How did you get those first few doors? Like what did, what did you end up doing to start building the business? Well, it's going to sound really simplistic, but I found that my number one source over the years, and, and I looked back you know at my previous history in San Antonio was realtors bringing me clients that were looking for the service, realtors that did not provide the property management service, or, you know, in some cases, you know, the market's going up, it's going down, people don't know what's going to happen. So, hey, I just want to hold the house for a year or two, and then I'll figure it out and maybe sell it later. And so I thought, okay, my target market is realtors. So what do I need to do? I need to be around realtors. So I got involved and I volunteered at the Board of Realtors. And I started going to events and meetings and meeting people and making those connections. And as soon as I would tell them that I was a property manager, people would be like, oh my gosh, we need a property manager. We need somebody that can help us. We we don't like property management or we're not allowed to do property management or whatever the, the situation was. And so there's a lot of need for property management. There's a lot of agents that need us. And so agents became my client base per se. So I started marketing to agents. And letting them know, hey, I'm here, I'm available to to handle your property management needs. And if you already have a relationship with a property manager, let me be your backup quarterback in case you need something or they're not able to handle it or it's a different area because DFW is huge. It'd take you an hour and a half to cross the city, much like Houston. So, you know, not all property managers work all areas. And so I just kind of approached it from that perspective. And the next thing I know, my phone started ringing and Honestly, it just hasn't stopped yet. Uh, most of my business comes from realtor referrals or the realtors have referred other people within their offices that are needing property management right. services. So so I think right there is brilliant. You volunteered on the, on the realtor board. Mm-hmm. So right there, I mean, there's probably not too many other property managers volunteering on the realtor board. Do you, are you seeing a change now where more and more people are doing property management. A lot of brokerages are allowing it, or are you still seeing the same flow coming to you that you had in the, in the past? I still see the same flow because I think I've I've spent a lot of time and effort and energy cultivating those relationships. Yep. It's definitely not a not a one and done. I always make sure that you know those referrals go back to those agents when those clients are done with, with property management. I touch base with those agents every year. You know, I send a, a personal Christmas card to each one every year. So. There, there is some marketing involved in maintaining those relationships, just like when I was a realtor and I would, you know, contact my past clients and get them to send me referrals. It's the same business model, just using realtors in, instead of the clients. But I've not seen a huge amount of new property management companies come into, come into our market. I have seen a lot of consolidation, a lot of 
property management companies buying other property management companies or people retiring and selling out. Yep. Lots of consolidation in every area of our marketplace. Yeah, I just been hearing rumblings that like a Keller Williams is going to start allowing property management or they allow some of their franchisees to do property management. Whereas when I first got into business, no Keller Williams did property management. Like maybe there was like the one guy that was like the outlier. They like literally wrote something in the contract so this one person could do property management. But now I'm hearing that more and more of these, you know, uh, of these bigger firms are starting to do property management because they're seeing that it could be potentially a cash cow. Absolutely. Now, how did you get, go ahead. I think it's a, a, you know, a pretty reasonable thing for them to look at that. So many of these companies, you know, KW's one, Coal Bankers one, you know, even Zillow has gotten into the property management business. So I think that they have seen that they need to be able to provide mortgages and title and property management and commercial. And there's a whole array of services that clients need, not just in the single family housing sale. So yeah, I definitely see it happening. And you're right. So many of these companies for years said, oh, we're never going to do real, we're never going to do property management. We're never going to do it. It's, it's too risky. It's too risky. And it is risky. But a lot of them have decided that, you know, they, their clients, their realtors, which are their clients are, are saying, we need this. We need this. We don't want to send out our referrals to another company. We want to keep it in-house under that, under that main brand. Yeah. Yeah. So that is still the way that you're growing your business. Do you spend any money on marketing? I do not spend any money on marketing. You're the antithesis of my old business partner, Steve <laughs> Rosenberg. So, all right. So let's talk about, uh, and, and we're going to talk about like, you know, we know that you purposely keep yourself small as far as the number of units. And I want to talk about that here in a second, but before that, so you're finding clients through the, you know, through the organization and, and through volunteering and building relationships. How are you finding your vendors when you first start a new city? <sighs> Yeah, vendors, vendors were tough, but you know what I did is I would go to those realtors that I was trying to cultivate and I'd say, Hey, I'm looking for an AC guy that services Dallas. You got anybody? And so it gave me an opportunity to connect with them and and reach back out to them. I've also been heavily involved in the uh, Women's Council of Realtors. They've done a lot of leadership training and and development over the years. I've been volunteering with them for years. And when you join Women's Council, you have this whole sisterhood of, of people that are in your marketplace that you can, you can reach out to. So I would reach out to a lot of the women's council group and say, hey, looking for an electrician, looking for an AC guy, whatever it was. But on the marketing thing, I I will tell you one of the other things that really has changed our world from my past life to my new life is that the Google reviews just seem to have taken over the world. People believe anything they read on a Google review and a 4.9 stars with 80 or 90 or 100 reviews, it's like. Moses with the Ten Commandments, they have come down and said, pick this property manager. So while I do get a lot of my new business from realtor referrals, a sense that started out, you know, I started out at zero, I started out with zero Google reviews too. I have really put a huge emphasis on getting those reviews from, from not only tenants, owners, realtors that send us their clients, whoever Vendors. I can get to, to give us a, a, a review online. Our Google reviews have just completely gone through the roof these last couple of years because I've made a real focus on it. And I, I get calls every week. Hey, we saw you on Google. When when can we sign up? So between those two things, I still get a lot of real referrals, but I get a, as many now Google inquiries as I get real referrals. And a lot of them I turn down. Like you said, I, I do keep a very small caseload. It is a boutique property management. 
portfolio. But the beauty of that is if I get somebody on the phone that it's just not a good fit for me for whatever reason, whether it's location, type of property, et cetera, I have a whole list of NARPM people that I refer those people out to. So trying to spread the wealth and keep it within NARPM as much as possible. Nice. Do you, if, if that person you turned down was referred to you by one of your agents, obviously you let that agent know, hey, thank you so much. Couldn't help, but I found somebody that could type deal. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What do you find is the best, the number one way that you got the Google reviews? Because everybody says, I want Google reviews. And then they have like four or five of them. Like you have tons of them. What, what was the best way that you found to get them? I try to hit people when they're the happiest. So <laughs> what we have found that's worked is right after moving, about two weeks after moving, we send out a request for, and we only do it once. We don't do it at move out. We don't do it after every maintenance. We're not one of those companies that is just constantly begging people. We only do it once from our clients, but we go to the tenant and the owner and say, Hey, you know, congratulations on getting moved in. It was, it's been so wonderful to, to bring you on board. Welcome home. And we ask them to give us a one sentence Google review. I think sometimes people are intimidated. They're like, Oh, it's a Google review. I got to write a book. It's got to be four paragraphs. So we've specifically changed our language to say, just give us one sentence, one sentence about what stood out about our service. And that has made it quick and easy. People can be done in five seconds, 10 seconds, 15 seconds. It's not going to take them three hours to do a Google review. So we also, whenever we have an agent that leases one of our properties as a, as a cooperative agent, when after the tenant has moved in, we move back with that agent and we say, hey, we are you know, a small boutique property management company. We'd love a one sentence review on our service. And you wouldn't believe the amount of realtor reviews we get on making the process easier and how the application process went and how much their client loves it and they're happy, et cetera. And usually they get that review link two or three days after their check arrives in the mail. So that always helps as well. Nice. We always make sure they get their check before we ask for a review. But that's been the way that we have really pushed for, for the Google reviews. And, you know, if, if there's ever a time when somebody goes, oh my gosh, y'all just went above and beyond on this. Uh, on a rare occasion, I'll say, hey, here's our link. Would you mind, you know, throwing yeah. out a sentence or two about how we helped you avert this crisis or whatever? But 99% uh, of them have come from the move-in process. Well, that that right there is a golden nugget. The one <laughs> sentence, I mean, because you're right. We at, at VPM, I'm having trouble getting reviews because you know we're asking them to send a review and they don't know they don't know what to say. But a right. one sentence review on how we stood out. That's brilliant. So right there. So it's two major nuggets that that would change, could change a business if they're listening to this podcast. All right. So let's get into it. So I remember, you know, you and I, we're, we've been friends for, for years and I used to always, you know, I'm from Empire, 900 doors, got to always be, you know, growing. And I always remember asking you like, how many doors, how many units are you managing? And you're like 150. And I'd be like, how many units do you want to manage? You're like 150. And so like, you always told me that you made enough money with your 150 units. And matter of fact, I think you actually made more than I did at my 900 units. And I'm not, I'm not even kidding, right? Because, well, because you spend zero on marketing. I'll spend like 25,000 a month on marketing. So, but well, that, I digress. So, so, but a lot of people have this notion that you have to become, you have to grow to become profitable. So let's discuss a little, the benefits of being lean. What, you know, so today you're at, I think it was at 165. I think you told me, right? So 165. So you yeah, lied. You yeah. do grow. <laughs> 15 we, we, we doors grew in like the last four years, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so tell us, yeah, tell us like, what's the benefits of, of staying lean? Well, again, I, I am so blessed to be able to have the past knowledge from my past company. So in my past company in San Antonio, we were paying rent. Rent is expensive. It's expensive overhead. We had copiers and fax machines and desks, and we had to buy pens and paper, and we had to provide coffee every morning and toilet paper in the bathrooms, all that stuff. It's a huge overhead expense. So when I moved to Dallas, I said, no more brick and mortar. Now I, I gave up agents. I this is how long ago? Agents. How long ago was this? This was 2000. I sold in 2016. Wow. So in 17, you're like, I'm, I'm, you, you, you beat the pandemic by like three years. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, and let me tell you, during the pandemic, I could not have been more thrilled to not have a brick and mortar. Yeah. Cause you, are, yeah, cause mean, you built had, all your processes to be, you know, uh, not, you know, not connection free or, or yeah, you built it. All absolutely. Being, yeah. All right. Being lean also means that, you know, we have less overhead in, in terms of payroll. You know, I've met property managers that at, at 40 doors have two or three assistants, you know, or, whether those are virtual assistants or, you know, U.S.-based in the office assistants, that's a lot of overhead. When you start paying salaries and benefits and payroll taxes on top of that, it's just huge amounts of money. So that that eliminated a lot of the overhead. It allowed us to be extremely lean and profitable. I do have one virtual assistant. I do have one full-time manager in the office. So I do have some staff now. In the office, meaning they're, they're in my home house. office, your house, okay. <laughs> in my house, yeah. Right, yeah. We call it the office, but yeah, in my house. So the, the goal was to build it to where I could do it from the beach, where I didn't have to be in an office nine to five, Monday through Friday. I wanted it to be virtual. I didn't want to have to, in my old world, we had storage unit full of paper. We paid for storage every month to house paper. So I wanted to be paperless. I wanted to be lean. I wanted to be mobile. I also wanted to be agile. I wanted to be able to move and change as the the business changed and as the world has changed. And that really came in handy during during um, COVID. During COVID. So I, I do think that there is a lot to be said for being small, having extremely high service levels. We charge a higher percentage rate. We won't talk about fees today, but we do charge a higher percentage rate than some of our competition, but we we have the service to back that up. We answer the phone live, which is huge. Uh, I can't tell you how many people have told me before, oh my gosh, I can't believe a, a live person actually answered the phone. That's, I didn't have to go through a phone tree. That's so, sad. That's sad, actually. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of, of things that are simple, little things. Now, we couldn't provide this service if we had 900 doors. It, it, it would it would be impossible. You could. Um, you just wouldn't make any money like I wasn't. We wouldn't make any money. <laughs> <laughs> but we are we are extremely, extremely profitable because we, we just don't have that that overhead. Now, some of the things that I didn't know about when I first before I joined NARPM, you know, back in the old days, we mailed out statements and we mailed out checks. We didn't have software to, to do a lot of the, the stuff that could be done electronically. We used to drive from bank to bank and make the owner's deposits at the bank before we had ACH and direct deposit. I mean, it's crazy. We would like divide um, up the bank. You go to the east side banks. I'm going to go to the west side banks and we'd all take off. Wow. The car, so. Times but have I changed. learned a lot. <laughs> when I bought the company in San Antonio, they had never charged a late fee ever to anyone. Oh. I'm like, uh, that's a problem. <laughs> so... Like I said, I learned a lot, especially going to, to different NARPM events. Some of the things that, that we've learned these last couple of years, pet fees, 
pet rent, admin fees, resident you're able to really packages. increase your average dollar sale, so to speak. Yeah. So let me ask you yeah. this, because you are, I, I know you are, you know, you're very picky on, on who you take, right? What kind of doors yes. you take, but let's say, you know, obviously you, you take some new doors cause you know, they're, they're a referral, they're a good fit. You take them, but then do you trim at the end of the year or do, yes. you, do you try to keep yourself like you, you do? Okay. Yes. So tell me about that process. What does that look like? So last year we sat down early, like early being like August and said, Hey, where, where do we want to be in the year? And we decided we really wanted to make our circle a little bit smaller, our geographic circle. It's a big town. We got a lot of toll roads. Gas is expensive. And there were some areas that were just really hard to get to. So we said, you know what? We're going to eliminate, you know, this area and that area. So that was the first step and the first opportunity for us to be able to change our, our business and have our, our business model come about. So we, we proactively made changes to the areas that we were working. Then we had a discussion between me and my staff about what owners are problems or what properties are problems. And we went back to them and we cut 20 properties last year. So we went to them in September and told them, hey, December 31st, we are no longer going to manage your property because of X, Y, and Z. Hey, guess what? We have a great property manager that we can refer you to. They'd be glad to work with you. It was another NARPA member. So it was a win-win for us and a win-win for them. So we got, we were able to reduce our caseload for properties that didn't turn out to be a great fit. Sometimes somebody starts out great. You know, you get on board with a property and an owner and you think, oh, this is going to be wonderful. We're going to, this is going to be a, a happy relationship for the next 10 years. And then things go awry or you, you find out things as you've been working on it. And, and sometimes it's just not a good fit anymore. So yeah, actively removing those properties from our portfolio is huge. And I learned that at NARPM too. I remember, I actually remember it was Brian Birdie had stood up in one of the NARPM meetings one time and he said, go to your team and ask them for their five worst clients. Who are the clients that when that caller ID pops up, they cringe and they crawl under their desk and they, they pretend like they're in the bathroom so they don't have to answer <laughs> the call. Let's see those five. And he went around to all of his team and a lot of those same people, whether it was maintenance or accounting or property management or leasing, it was the same five people. So eliminating those really allows us to give better service to our remaining clients yeah. and focus on and growing and developing those other business options. So, so a couple um, of things there. You have to cut. A couple of things there. One, when you cut those, are you able to sell them off to the other property manager or do you just get a referral fee or do you say, screw it, they're, they're done, just take them, we don't care? Like, if, they're, if they're good properties and good owners and just in a location we don't want to manage anymore, we actually reached out to another property manager in that area and we did receive a referral fee for each one of those. So we didn't actually sell them, but we did do a referral fee with them and were able to, to transition all of them over and was pretty seamless to tell you the truth. It was much easier doing that than having six or seven different owners going to six or seven different places and dealing with all these different property managers. So right. it was definitely a win-win for us. Yep. For the owners that really needed to just be fired or had crummy properties or crummy owners, we did not include them. We had a different letter for them. You sent those to non-NARPA members. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we did not refer them to another NARPA member. So you know, that we, we, we tried to be very careful with that. So we don't want to pass, pass along a problem. And there are some, there are some problem owners and problem properties out there. So. 
Yep. Now, one of the things I always learn is before you fire them, just increase their price and see what happens. Like, <laughs> <laughs> let them fire you type of thing. Is that, have you ever tried that? Or you just said, nah, it just, it's not a good fit. doesn't matter. They're not worth the, they're not worth the headache, no matter how much money uh, I can. Well, you know, Pete, we're just making so much money here. We don't care. <laughs> you know, we just pass them along. No. I've heard that too. I've heard people say, hey, for double the fee, I'll, I'll work with some crummy owners or, or crummy yeah. properties. It, it hasn't been, that hasn't been part of our model. You know, if we want we also have month-to-month -month management agreements, and so we tell the owners right you from day us one: you don't like us, give or us, you don't if you don't like us, or we don't like you, we can fire you in thirty days' notice, just as just yeah. as well. So yeah. for us, we don't. So would you say by? Me, but so you would, <laughs> I would say love to do that sometime, just to try. Just it. to try it, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so you would say by being small or smaller, or leaner. I don't like to use words small, I like leaner. So by being leaner, you're able to give better customer service. Because you don't have as many onboards, offboards, move in, move outs. You just have less that, that needs to be done, right? How, how, many, how many new uh, build, like how many people leave and how many onboards and offboards do you have in a year? Well, our renewal rate is over 80%. That's huge. For and it makes renewal it rate for residents over 80%. For residents, yeah. Really? Wow. Okay. Yes, our owners love that. Yeah. Hey, Mr. Owner. The tenant wants to renew again. Hey, it's the third year. It's the fourth year. The, the tenant wants to renew again. You ever get this a one? Lot of that, that sounds, it sounds simple. I'm going to do it myself. You ever, you ever um, have an owner do that? <laughs> uh, once. <laughs> once I've had him say, well, Amy, you make it look so easy. I'll just, I'll just do it. I'm like, all right, good luck. Don't good. call me when you have a problem. Have fun but with we, that. You know, with our service levels and the way that we structure it, we over communicate with our owners. They know about every work order. They know every time we go to the property, they get pictures of their properties every six months. They get their, their detailed statements on the same day of every month. So it's a super high service level. And, and there's, there's a lot of work that goes into making that happen. But if you can take care of the tenants, if you have good tenants that pay on time and take care of the property, and you take care of those tenants, you respond quickly to their maintenance requests, you answer the phone when they have a question, you get back to them within 24 business hours. I mean, there's simple stuff we all learned in business school years ago. Those tenants will renew, renew, renew. And in this right. market- And when, when do owners leave? When the tenant doesn't renew and there's a, there's a make ready that has to happen, right? During, the, during that whole uh, process is when owners decide, hey, I'm gonna go use somebody else. Well, you know what? We've, we've been able to go to the owners and say, look, this tenant's been in there for four years. They're moving out in 60 days. So can you please send me, you know, $10,000, $15,000 so I can do the make ready on your house? It's a, it's a different relationship with those owners than just collecting the rent and managing the maintenance. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a whole different So by, by staying in boutique, you literally build these great relate. Like you're, you're a relationship builder. You build relationships yes. with your agents. You're building relationships with your owners. And it sounds like you're building relationships with your residents as well. Yeah. A lot of companies over the years, I've heard, well, it, it's just a tenant. It's oh, just a rental. Yeah. I mean, they're just a renter. I mean, come on. Do they really need air conditioning? Uh, yeah. They really <laughs> need air conditioning. So we treat the tenants as if this is their home. This is their home for whether it's a year, two years, three years. And, and we have crummy tenants too. Everybody gets them. You get a bad egg every now and then. But we try really, really hard to set proper expectations with them about how maintenance is going to work. Because that's the number one complaint you're going to get is it's hot. It's 110 degrees in Texas. I want my air conditioner fixed and I want it fixed two hours ago. So it's a challenge and it's a struggle. And COVID brought on a whole new set of, of challenges for us. What I found that COVID did was 
we used to have tenants that would go to work from nine to five every day. So if they had a toilet that was, you know, kind of running here and there or dishwasher didn't quite work like it was supposed to, well, you know, I'll get to that next week. I got to go to work. Got to work. Got to work. Well, when everybody was home 24 7, 365 during COVID, that toilet that was refilling every 20 minutes became the biggest headache in their world <laughs> and they wanted it fixed. They wanted it fixed now. So it it was a different level of of challenges that that COVID brought on. We had to change the way that we communicated with tenants and working with tenants to be able to, to set those proper expectations. A lot of them, especially you know in the in specific demographics, have the Amazon effect. They want to be able to push the button on a work order, and in thirty minutes, the plumber is going to show up on their front door. They're going to come in, poof, they're going to have all the parts that they need. Right. Nothing's going to be out of stock or have to be ordered. They're going to fix it and they're going to be magically gone within two hours. Right. So I like to refer to it as the Amazon effect. You know, yeah. I can order my groceries. They'll be here in two hours. Like, yeah. who doesn't love that? And so residents have a higher level of expectation because you can order just about anything in the world and have it on your doorstep. Amazon now does overnight deliveries. I can have my my deliveries on my doorstep between 4 a.m. and 7 a.m. in the morning. I'll take you one better. I ordered something one morning, and by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it was here. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. It, yeah. And so that level of expectation is what has, it's, it's driven the way that we manage rentals. You know, we used to get a rental application. They'd walk in the office with their paper application, and they'd set it on our desk, and we'd type it all in, and Five, six days later, we'd figure out if we're going to actually yeah, approve they, them for the property to, or not. Now they want to know in hours. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. Not only do they want to know in hours, they want to move in tomorrow. They want to know in minutes so. and move in tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, Amy, so. I can sit here and talk to you all day about property management. You have an amazing story. But it's time for a commercial, and then we'll come back for the, the lightning round. Oh, I'm ready. All right, we'll be right back after these messages. Okay. Did you know that most tenants struggle to come up with a large sum of money needed to move into their new rental home? Let Renters Insurance Solutions help you solve this problem by giving tenants another option for security deposits. Property managers can make up to $200 per door annually with our programs. Learn more at our website, yourris.com. That's Y-O-U-R-R-I-S.com. Renters Insurance Solutions, your experts in property management and insurance. PestShare, a pest control amenity for your resident benefits program, starting at just $5 per door. You can give your residents the pest control coverage they need. PestShare will even pay for the expensive infestations, like bedbugs and cockroaches. End the debate over who pays for pest control, while PestShare turns an expense into added revenue. For more information, check out their website at pestshare.com forward slash property managers. Have you ever considered hiring a property management virtual assistant, but didn't know where to start? Or have you tried hiring a virtual assistant, but you weren't satisfied with the number of qualified applicants? If so, VPM Solutions is here to help. VPM is the world's first virtual talent marketplace dedicated specifically to property management and real estate. We have thousands of talented virtual assistants ready to work for you, including assistance for accounting, leasing, maintenance coordination, rent collections, and much more. With VPM, you can post jobs, screen candidates, hire and pay your virtual assistants, all from within our state-of-the-art platform. VPM is the easy button for hiring and managing your virtual team. 
And the best part? VPM Solutions is 100% free to employers. That's right, free. No placement fees, no employer markups, and no hidden charges. With VPM, property managers get the talent they need while reducing costs and improving customer service. Visit vpmsolutions.com and create your free account today. All right, welcome back, everybody. It is time for the the lightning round. Are you ready, Amy Carnes? I'm ready. All I'm right. ready. I'm scared. I'm a little scared. I'll have to tell you, <laughs> little scared. What is? But one, we're friends, so uh, take it easy on me. I'm gonna take it easy on you. Okay, what, I'm ready. What is one thing that most people do not know about you? I love turtles. Like I have an unhealthy relationship with turtles. I've learned something about Amy Garns today. <laughs> what PM software do you use? Appfolio. What is your current organizational structure? Departmental. Departmental. And do you use virtual assistants? Yes. Do you have a salesperson or BDM? That would be me. All right. What is one piece of advice you'd give someone just starting out in the PM business? Well, we gave you a whole list of, we gave you a whole thing of advice, but pick one for this lightning round. I would say you got to hustle. If you're going to sit in your office behind a desk, you're not going to drive the business when you're getting out and making those relationships. People want to do business with people they know and they trust. And those are the relationships you got to build. I would say stop trying to market your business from behind a computer and go and go volunteer at the local real estate boards. Absolutely. Does pineapple belong on pizza? No. <laughs> I'm with you on that, Amy Carnes. <laughs> What book are you currently reading or what is one that you have read that impacted your business or life? I'm reading Joanna Gaines and Chip Gaines's Magnolia book because, you know, I love HGTV. After nine hours a day of working real estate, I can't wait to turn on HGTV and see what Chip and Joanna are transforming. You have so, a problem. You definitely have a problem. I know. And Waco is way too close to me so I can just pop down to Waco anytime I want. What is one challenge that you currently are having in your, uh, in your business? I think maintenance is the number one challenge every year. Every time I think about one area that I wish we could do better with, it would be maintenance. And, you know, we're, we're strapped. We, we use independent contractors. We don't have in-house maintenance. So we're at their beck and call when it, when it comes to maintenance. The supply chain shortages and the issues with yeah. getting enough workers to show up for work every day it has impacted maintenance dramatically. And so it, it's, it's made it harder for us to do our job. And we're, we're having to get more creative with, with things along the way in order to get those maintenance issues resolved quickly. What do you prefer, dogs or cats? Cats. You're a cat person, all right, nice. I'm a cat person, I got two. Oh, nice. All right, well, listen, yeah. if you wanna join NARPM, Please go to NARPM, N-A-R-P-M.org, or call the good folks at 800-782-3452. If you're looking for a virtual assistant like Amy has, reduce costs and increase efficiencies, go to vpmsolutions.com or give me a call or email me at pete at vpmsolutions.com. Amy, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, how can they do that? They can reach us at aplusrocks.com because we rock property management. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Amy, for being here. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate you. And we'll talk to you next time. Okay, sounds good. Bye, Pete. Right. See you. Bye. This has been a production of the National Association of Residential Property Managers, the recognized leader in property management, along with your host, Pete Newbig, CEO of VPM Solutions, where property management meets global talent. 
The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the host and are not necessarily those of NARPM. If you have a hot topic you'd like discussed on the podcast, please email us at radio at narpum.org.